welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. I was questioning myself, you know, who am I? I'm, I know I'm a mother, I, I, I have a career, quote unquote, um, you know, I'm a wife. Who is Yvette? I, I, I know that sounds crazy, but I just started asking myself, is there more? Is there more to life or is this it? And it just sort of began a an unraveling. An unraveling, a painful, messy circumstance, to be sure. But as we explore here every week, your life's messiest moments can reveal blessings and passions you would not have known had you not gone through that crucible. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. On this episode of our series, Second Act Significance, we talk with Yvette Baden, whose unraveling began in self-exploration and ended in a painful divorce. But as she walked through and emerged on the other side of that devastation, she found her life's purpose as a thought leader and writer who inspires women through her web platform, awakenedwoman.com, to not just dream, but to dream big as they pursue their passions by exercising their giftings. Yvette Baden has found second act significance, and you can too. Yvette, thank you so much for being here. I mean, it is truly an honor to have you, so thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited. This is just such a powerful and much needed conversation. I agree. I mean, as I was reading your website and some of the things you've written, uh, not an eloquent phrase, but I kept going like, wow, amazing. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You know, it was just like, gave me, I mean, I haven't even, we haven't even spoken yet. I, you know, had goosebumps just reading about kind of your philosophy and who you are. So, you know, I love just the concept of awakened woman and your book, A Journey to Becoming the Best Self. I mean, you know, something that everybody can aspire to. Uh, so before we get a bit into, obviously, you had a sort of a crucible and all. Tell us about a bit about Yvette Barden and sort of just family, culture, how you grew up, because I often find the origin story certainly is in my case. Uh, definitely, I'm a product of my environment and we all are to a degree. So just give us a bit of a window of some of the strands that uh, led to who you are now, if you will. Just, yeah. Well, great question. So I was born and raised in New York by Dominican parents, um, very strict parents. Um, they very much nurtured the arts in our family. So, you know, I've always written. Um, I wrote a song when I was 14 years old. I studied ballet for six years. I played the piano, the guitar. So, you know, it's it was really something, just nurturing our creative side was, was something that was important. Part of this journey, I tapped into that part of my childhood, I think, because I didn't plan on being a writer. I, you know, I didn't have a master plan to write a book. I absolutely didn't. Um, so I was raised in Manhattan and, you know, I think I have a sort of a combination, a little bit of grit, but also some compassion. And I do hone into that when I write. So that's Yvette. Wow. That's so, 
It's interesting because some families are like, no, you know, uh, math or sports or whatever it is. But it's fascinating that your family just had a real love of the arts and encouraged that because not, not every family does. But, but yours yours did. <laughs> well, let's I don't want to, you know, sort of miss give you a misconception. My mother did say you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. You can do anything <laughs> else on the side. But the, <laughs> so so no, you know, when when it came time to go to college, it was, you know, I majored in psychology. So no. She wanted to nurture the creative side, but she, you know, there's no there's really not a, a lot of money to be made as writers out there now. How did that form who you are? I mean, you love the arts, but there was this voice in your head from your parents, Yvette, you gotta be practical, you know? <laughs> gotta pay the rent, you gotta pay the bills. <laughs> I mean, come on, dreams are fine, but dr dreaming is for the weekend, you know? During during the week, you gotta be practical. I don't know, I, I think I've gone the opposite way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I I've come to a place where I believe dreams are possible. I feel that if you work hard and, you know, you put yourself all in, I think anything is possible. Um, how long it can take, that's that's another story, you know, but I don't know. I, I think dreams are important. They fuel passion. They, they sort of feed purpose. I, I think dreams are super important. So I would... No, I, I think I went the opposite way. Um. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I am, uh, you know, I'm an idealist by nature, still am. And I guess I have this feeling that, you know, dreams are possible and can be practical if you think a little creatively, a little out of the box. You know, I guess, again, I'm an idealist. I kind of think it's possible to have both. It doesn't have to be either or, if that makes sense. And I, I think that mindset is it's special because it doesn't limit limit you. I, I feel to a certain degree that, um, you know, we raise our children and sort of put them in a box and sort of limit their quote unquote dreams. And um, I don't know, I, I part of me feels like that's a disservice. It feels like, you know, just let them sort of go off on their path and like you said, it, ha it has to be practical as well. I don't know. I, I feel as I get older, I understand the importance of dreaming, dreaming big. So, so here you, you grew up in this environment where there was both um, arts, but be practical. But yet I can just sense that you've always had this desire to dream, you know, this, the dreams can happen. That just doesn't happen overnight. But then tell us about you know, life as you grew up and got a job. And obviously that leads up to the crucible. But tell us about that sort of pre-crucible uh, event, you know, kind of what, how were you living? What were you doing? Talk about that kind of life, if you will. Well, the thing about dreams is they're, um, they're, ex <laughs> they're sort of expensive. You know, I had to get a job and I had to support myself. Um, so I, of course, went into corporate America and I've, worked in the financial industry for many years, um, just planning meetings and events. You know, I, I think dreams tend to take a backseat. You sort of push them off as you evolve into being an adult. You have financial responsibilities. You have to raise children. So I think I, they were sort of dormant for a long time. And, um, you know, I went to work nine to five, nine to six. And the dreams were sort of dormant for a long time. 
the rat race was, it was something I had to do to come to the place I am today because I think the way I started thinking about it was that job paid for my dream. So that's why I say dreams are expensive. Would have, it would have been impossible to not work. And at the same time, you said when we spoke uh, before we hit uh, record, you said that you always felt a void uh, in that job. You felt like you weren't really making a difference. And we also ask, as we ask um, all guests to kind of, you know, fill out a questionnaire and, and, and say some, some things that, so we can ask informed questions. And one of the things you said um, about quotes, you said that you're a collector of quotes you actually have a wall of inspiration full of them. And one that stands out speaks to what you're talking about, I think. It's a Maya Angelou quote, and it is, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. As you were living that life, paying the bills to build the dream, did it kind of feel like there was an untold story inside you and that caused a little agony? Oof, that's a really good question. Nope, cannot take credit and say that I felt there was anything special about my story or anything exceptional. I, I definitely did not walk around, you know, thinking I could write the story and it would make a difference or um, change a life. I, I no, I didn't think that. But I also think that comes from large chunk of my life. I felt. I wasn't enough. I felt I wasn't worthy of good things. So I think that has also been a factor in, you know, not thinking bigger earlier in life. So no, no, I definitely did not think I had a story that needed to be heard. And that in a sense is so sad because there's many people, many women, I imagine, which I know that's your focus that probably feel that you probably represent thousands, if not millions of other people, other women who just go to work and they feel like I'm nothing special. They might even think I'm less than special. I'm like nowhere near that. And so just talk about what life was like for you. You know, you, you go to work every day and, you know, subway or bus and what was, what was life like? How did you feel? <laughs> the only way I can describe it is the, being the mouse on the wheel. And I think so many people feel that way. It, it's sort of, you know, the, have you ever seen Groundhog Day? Mm -hmm. yeah, You're yeah. living the same day over and over again. And I just, you know, I, I really didn't feel that there was, like you said, anything, you know, special about my journey. So I went to work, I paid my bills, enjoyed the nightlife now and then. But I, I always say I'm, you know, I'm the average Joe. I really am. So it sounds like, you know, you accepted it. Well, it doesn't sound like you were depressed per se. It was like, this is life and I'm just carrying on, right? I mean, that's fair. Exactly. But so it sounds like things are going, and maybe that could have been your life for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Who knows, you know? But then there was a big change. Uh, you know, we call it a crucible. Sometimes it feels like hitting a brick wall at 80 miles an hour, what have you, but, uh, or so, more. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about that wall that you hit that really was very painful, but changed your life. Well, I was with my ex-husband for almost 10 years. I was 
you know, chugging along. I was happy or content, I guess is the word. Um, so I, I think towards the last, I don't know, I'd say last year or two of our marriage, I, and it was post, I had a, I had a, a child. I sort of started feeling, um, I was questioning myself, you know, who am I? I'm, I know I'm a mother. I, I, I have a career quote unquote, you know, I'm a wife. Who is Yvette? I, I, I know that sounds crazy, but I just started asking myself, is there more? Is there more to life or is this it? And it just sort of began a an unraveling of sorts. And the more questions I asked about myself, the you know, I think the more difficult it got for me. And towards the end of the marriage, I, you know, this journey of finding myself put a lot of space between my husband and I. I was evolving and we were sort of just going in separate ways and we started living a separate life and the divorce was imminent and I started therapy um you know to figure out why was I feeling this way I just it was it was sort of a nagging that I couldn't let go of and as I found out more about myself and sort of started peeling the layers of the onion. <laughs> I don't want to say it destroyed my marriage, but it deteriorated it. And um, we were, got separated and the divorce triggered um, a serious depression. And that, you know, between the divorce and the depression, my life was turned upside down. And I felt like I was walking around, you know, sort of just Lost. I felt lost. I mean, as you're describing this, this is so, I can't adequately describe it. Saz does not seem to be the right word. I mean, just heart-wrenching because here you are, you're evolving. You're trying to find yourself. It's like, who is Yvette? I mean, I think of this quote by Thoreau. It's like people live lives of quiet desperation. They're not yelling and screaming. It's just this low-grade I mean, before things got really bad, low-grade depression, low-grade is this all there is, and oh well, time to do the laundry, time to go to work, time to cook dinner, time to whatever it is, maybe I'll go to a movie with some friends and then back to the treadmill, and you just you just keep going and going, and you know, it's just, but there was some, there was something amidst the, you know, the, the rock or the crust of this is life, just almost like lava wanting to break through. It's like, Life is more than this. There was almost like this deep inner part of Yvette that's trying to break through. And that was causing some pain. Whenever we evolve, especially from a sense of, hey, you know, it's a bad analogy, but hey, I, I, I'm, I'm living my life as a caterpillar, but maybe I could be a butterfly. Well, that feel, that's probably, I don't know what it's like. I to, love that. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it's like to go from being a butterfly to a, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Maybe it's painful. I don't know. I mean, we obviously can't ask them, but you know, maybe it is. I don't know. But for humans, it's typically painful. Those changes. I mean, rarely are they not. Pains, right? Yeah, well, right, right. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're a mother. I'm blessed to have three adult kids. Children are a blessing, but the process of you know that happening is painful. You know, but there's a blessing in there. And obviously, any mother would say it was agony, but. I don't really had a second off because I wouldn't have my beautiful children, right? Right. So it's so sad that you'd like to think your partner 
you know, uh, husband, wife would be supportive. And again, we don't need to get into details, but it, it's sad when that doesn't happen. And by you being more Yvette, that that somehow triggers the breakup of a marriage. I mean, that's just devastatingly sad. Again, I'm not asking for more details, but do you know what I mean? Just that's so sad, you know? It is, but, you know, I, I find a lot of couples sort of, you know, go evolve in their marriage or relationship over time. And, you know, it's really hard to sort of meet this new person, quote unquote, right. and feel like, wow, this is this is not the person I married. I'm, you know, I'm not sure you're right for me. So as you evolve, you hopefully evolve together. But, you know, I think in most cases, I'm not sure that is, you know, that is true. Um, so I, I do understand it. And, you know, I appreciate him because he was the same person, you know, when I met him and the day that actually still until today, um, he's the same person. I think the core of me was the same, but there was there was a lot of change in that evolution. You were going through all of this and you had these ideas. How did you navigate your way through that? Because, you know, we often say in Beyond the Crucible, when you go through a crucible, which, you know, an incredibly painful moment, you have a choice. Either you can hide under the cover and say, this is awful. It's not fair. Why should my marriage break up just because I'm being more me? That's not fair. I don't care if it's understandable. It's just flat out not fair. I've got a young child. You know, this is, you know, I don't like my job anymore. I'm guessing, you know, getting depressed. I mean, some people could just get really angry at their spouse, at the universe saying, this is just not fair. I didn't sign up for this. But yet you chose a different path. So help the listeners understand because not everybody chooses your path. How did you get out of that? What must have been incredibly painful situation? Well, there are two reasons. Thank you, my therapist, wherever she is. Um, I do believe in therapy. And my daughter, she was the light for me. And I knew that I had to move forward and heal. Now, healing is, it's, it's a long process. I don't want to say that it's impossible to do it alone, but you don't have to. So I, I did have help and I'm, I'm grateful every day for that. And, you know, I want listeners to really understand because sometimes, less now, but there can be a stigma about getting help. I mean, as listeners know, obviously, when, you know, growing up in a 150-year-old family media business and $2.25 billion takeover and all, and then when that went under, I felt like I let my family down, parents as a person of faith. I felt like I let God down in some strange way. Yeah, I didn't know that I was clinically depressed, but I was in pretty bad shape. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, counseling was definitely very helpful to me because I was, you know, I was feeling pretty definitely very worthless, actually. Everything I do, I screw up. And, you know, my name was on front pages of newspapers, not in a good way. So, yeah, I think not everybody's situation is as public, but when you go through difficult circumstances, getting counseling is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of courage. It's a sign of, I believe in myself enough. I'm worth enough to pay for some counseling, you know? So I want listeners to, to hear that. But you talk about your daughter, you know, in an article I read, uh, there's a wonderful thing that your daughter said that just, she must be pretty special. Uh, and as you were trying to navigate your journey, and I guess you're probably saying, gosh, this is tough. She said, you know, mom, greatness takes time. 
I mean, that just blew me away that I just, I mean, to have a daughter like that, I mean, that's just, talk about a gift. I mean, that's unbelievable. So talk about how your daughter, clearly she's a, a big part of the story, right? What led you to where you are now? Um, I'll tell you a little story and I don't share it often because it, it just, it gets me really emotional, but I was in bed one day and she spent weekends with her father. That particular weekend, she was with me. He had an event and the lights were off. It was dark. The curtains were shut. Um, it was maybe one o'clock in the afternoon. She walks into my room. She must have been, I'm thinking six or seven. And she says, mommy, please wake up, open the curtains. And um, that saved me because I called the therapist the next day and I knew something had to change. Do you feel like sometimes when there's somebody that you love or somebody that loves you that much, love can prompt us to do things we might not have had the strength to do ourselves? That sounds and like in part your, your daughter's love. It's like, you know what? Not only am I worth it, but my daughter is worth it. She deserves to have the best mom possible. I don't mean to be cliche about it, but does that kind of make sense? Was that part of your thinking? Absolutely. And the one thing that I do want to mention is not everyone has a child or has a loved one that can do that, that do the same, have the same effect. But I do think that even self-love will just sort of catapult you to get help or just or change whatever is not working. Um, so I, I just think it's important to mention that not everyone has what I had, but even if it's self-love, which to me is the greatest love you can ever have, find that, you know, that love within if you don't have what I, you know, a daughter, a son, or a husband. I think that's important um, to mention. And, and it's one of the reasons why I started the platform because a lot of people do not have the resources to pay for therapy, do not have a support group, do not have someone to draw them out of, a, of whatever darkness they are experiencing. And one of the things that helps you, Yvette, uh, as we've talked before, and I guess before I get into that, let me say I, I love Maya Angelou. She's a phenomenal writer. I'm taking nothing away from her when I say, uh, my guess is your wall of inspiration. The top quote is mom, greatness takes time. <laughs> <laughs> as great as Maya Angelou is, your daughter's quote, I think is probably above that, maybe by one tick. Um, <laughs> I think so. But one of the things that you said helped you really as you were moving forward, you talked about how you kept diaries as a young girl. And so you were accustomed, uh, you indicated earlier, you were kind of creative, you were accustomed to writing. And there was something about writing as you went through your experience of that divorce and the pain and the depression that followed. Talk a little bit about that, about the role that played in your eventual ascension from that not wanting to get out of bed moment. I think writing is, is powerful. Um, and not, it doesn't have to be writing for anyone, for an audience, just writing, journaling, as most, a lot of us call it. Journals are the only place where you can, you know, I call it vomiting on a page, but where you can <laughs> sort of <laughs> let everything out. There's no judgment. There's no, you know, 
sort of talk back. There's no, it's just you and that pen, you and that paper, or you and your computer, just sort of talking about all those things that you can't say out loud. Because I think we all have things that we can't say out loud. We can't share with anyone else. And a journal is is sort of your sacred, it's it's just you and and that piece of paper. Um, your thoughts, your dreams, your wishes, your, you know, your pain, everything that you're feeling, it's it's cathartic. It helps in the healing process. Yeah, th- this is why I thought I'd be saying wow every two seconds on this podcast. <laughs> so forgive me. But, uh, you know, um, I-, I so agree and believe. I mean, I think all three of us here are, are writers and I've gone through periods of my life and my newspaper days where I was journaling all the time and it was, uh, yeah, it was extremely uh, painful. Uh, but yeah, I, I, for me, I mean, I'm a person of faith. And so when I journal, I feel like not only do I write down my frustrations, I feel like I hear like this inner voice. Now, for some, it may be their true selves. For me, this sounds a little weird. It may feel like God or some higher power, but whatever it is, I feel like, because sometimes I'll be writing things down saying, I think this is true, but this doesn't make sense. So I don't know that this is me or not my conscious me. It's like the true enemy. It sounds a bit like metaphysical, but I've found sometimes when I've journal, I've found some deep inner truth and almost tranquility of the soul that I wouldn't have any other ways. I don't know if any of that makes sense at all. It, it all makes sense. It's funny because when I when I'm asked about the book, I am not lying to you when I tell you the book wrote me. It was something bigger than me. It w- And I know it sounds, sounds a little, you know, cuckoo, but um, it literally was sort of someone else taking the reins and I am, I'm the messenger. So no, everything you're saying is, it, I connected with it because that's exactly how I feel. So you're in this place where you're coming out of an incredibly painful circumstance and journaling sounds like a key medium. Connect sort of journaling to how your mission evolved. It's like rather than just, you know, working in the finance world and set, you know, meetings and events, you evolved, your life evolved. So how did the journaling connect that to, to where you are now? Because it sounds like there was an evolution of understanding who you were and then what does that mean for you day to day? What's your mission and purpose in the world? And put into the context of our series, right? Second act (laughs) significance, first act, there's the job that you feel disconnected from, not really satisfied by. I think you said at one point it was just a job. Then you go through this painful crucible. now maybe as you're journaling and you're kind of getting your your mojo back, maybe that's intermission, and you're about to launch the second act. So to Warwick's point, how did that intermission, that journaling, that taking time to breathe, how did that launch you into your second act? I'm not sure I'm answering correctly, but the journaling sort of helped me connect with, I guess, the, the writer. Um and I had something to say, I had a message and I felt the journaling was, it was just such a big part of whatever I was supposed to be doing. I feel I had something to say. I felt a lot of people 
are out there going through the same thing and they have no one. And I felt that I needed to put this message out there in hopes of helping others. So when you say the message, how would you describe that message as it was forming? What's the message that you felt like people and especially other women needed to hear? I say the core of the message is you can fall a hundred times, but you can rise up. I know it sounds simple, but I wanted to inspire that fight in other women. I feel that my writing is doing that. And I, you know, when I get messages from women in Africa and other parts of the world, you know, saying you planted a seed, thank you for sharing your story. You know, the same thing happened to me and I feel like I can get past it. I know I'm doing something right. I've got to interject just as the co-host here to say, (laughs) this is one of the reasons why when we were going through some of the things we read about you, some of the things you and I talked about, I was amazed myself. I said, wow, a few times because I'm like, Yvette and Warwick are sort of the same person in some ways. And if you're, if you happen to be like, like, listen, like watching on YouTube, you can look at them. They don't look like they're the same person. But some of the words, honestly, seriously, some of the ways that you describe your journey back that uh, you can fall, a, you know, a thousand times as long as you get back up is the same thing that Warwick has talked about. Warwick just put a book out in the fall of his experiences. And his goal for that wasn't to just get it off his chest. His goal for that was to help other people. So you guys... I just want to make sure listeners catch that. This is further proof of what we talk about on the show all the time. The circumstances of your crucible may be different from the guy down the street or the gal down the street, but the emotions are so much the same. Listen to how Warwick has described his crucible of losing the family media dynasty at a cost of, he loves when I say this, $2.25 billion. And, and how that affected him and how he wanted to to turn that pain into helping others. And then listen to how Vivette's talking about the pain of her divorce and the way that she then wanted to turn what she learned from that and provide that to other women to help them walk through it. It's the, it's the exact same blueprint written perhaps with different pens. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. Gary, I mean, that's one of the amazing things I've learned through this podcast is we've had people, as I've mentioned, of all, you know, genders, races, backgrounds, heritages. Um, but it's so often amazing how we're more the same as humans than we think. You know, the struggle for significance, the struggle for identity. Who am I? I certainly found this in my own way, but it sounds like as you were wanting to tell the stories of other women, which we'll get to in an awakened woman in, in your book, it sounds like there was a bit of healing in that as you were using your light to provide light to other women, to give them hope. I mean, just one drop of grace, one drop of hope here and there goes a long way. Did you feel like it was almost like a, a virtuous circle, like a positive flywheel? You were becoming more fully Yvette as you were helping other women? Absolutely. I, I, you know, I started feeling like I had purpose. I had something to share and that could help other women. And that, to me, that's gold. You know, one of the things that I'm learning is something you mentioned. I think we, and I'll speak for women because I'm a woman, but um, 
I think there is so much more in common than we think. And our pain can come from different sources. But a lot of the experiences that we have, we can learn from each other. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping my platform will show. A lot of us go through quite a bit of the same things. Um, so I think that's something that it's it's just so powerful when we share our stories and other people connect. And whether it's give, giving them hope or whether it's um, sort of helping them see a different perspective, I, I, I don't know. It's It's really powerful for me. Because that's a connection. That's life. That is, I don't know, it's it's so amazing and it's so beautiful when I can um, give that gift because I do think it's a gift. So um, let's talk a bit um, about the book because we haven't really gotten there yet. Um, you said the book um, wrote you. Talk about the book, what it's called, what the aim of it is, and, and you describe it as prescriptive fiction. I don't think I've ever it's heard that phrase. It's a fancy for self-help. My editor did that. Oh, <laughs> I, I've never heard it. And I, I, I've written a couple books and I've never heard prescriptive fiction. So explain to listeners a little bit about what your book um, is about, what it accomplishes, what, the, what your goal in writing it was. So first of all, it's a journey to becoming the best self and it's part self-help, part memoir. I talk about the time before divorce and then post-divorce. So I call it, um, there's, it's sort of two parts. And my second act is my awakening. And um, I sort of, I talk about very tough details in the book. You know, when I went through the depression, um, it was a dark time. And I wanted to make sure that readers understood the darkness that I was going through. Um, I give some tips about, you know, coming out of depression, um, how I did it, talk about dating a little bit after divorce, talk about some of the financial aspects that we never think about when we get married. It's, it's a contract. It's a contract. And I think we tend to romanticize it and forget that there is a financial aspect. So I do get into that a little bit. And my goal in writing the book was bringing the reader into my experience as much as possible. And that took a lot of detail. It was very painful to write, but it was the only way to write it so people could understand what the pain was and what it meant to come out of that pain. And, you know, towards the end, I talk about the birth of the Awakened Woman platform. Wow. So when you think about the book, I mean, what would you say are two of the three most important things that readers really need to take away? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I like how you say that when we ask questions. That's, a, that's, like, the third, that's are, like the third time you've said fun. that. So I'm feeling, So we need to put this in a, a, a show role, Warwick, about how good we are as questioners. <laughs> well, they're very well thought out questions. And I can honestly say I, a lot of them I've never gotten before. So well, thank you. The first thing I want readers to take from it is there is light after dark. You can start over. You know, when, let me see if I could explain it. When a lot of us, I know for me as a woman, when we go through a divorce, we see it as something that's, you know, 
awful and pain, painful. And um, I don't know. So you sort of feel like your life has ended. And I want women to understand that divorce is not the end of you. It's a beginning. It's another chance to start over and figure out who you are. And I'm not saying it's a positive thing, but if you look at it that way, it can be. I think it can be. And the third thing I would say, it's never too late to start something new. Never too late, never too old. So as you're talking about that, what you went through was very painful, but between the divorce and just you that sort of emerging thought of who is Yvette, do you see any blessing or gift in that pain? And that sounds like a almost a barbaric question, but no, yeah. no. <laughs> there is absolutely there are blessings. Um A, my ex-husband and I have been able to successfully co-parent and we're actually good friends. So I think that's a huge blessing. I have a whole new career. And I promise you, I would not have had it were not for that divorce and that pain. So absolutely, falling in love again, that's a blessing. So there, there are plenty of blessings. And, you know, there's that phrase, you know, blessed to be a blessing. Or it just feels like that's how you live. You've been blessed with, you know, uh, you know, your daughter and, but, and so many other ways but now you're blessing so many other folks. So talk about awakened woman. I, I love that phrase to awaken, because that to me implies new birth, new life, awaken the the beauty within, you know, the the butterfly that exists in every caterpillar, just waiting to just this beautiful uh, creature, beautiful uh, human, beautiful woman, if you will, in, in every sense of that word, waiting to come out. So you know, you interview, I think you've done more than 500 articles, everybody from celebrities to just mothers, uh, abuse relationships, people from Latino backgrounds. So talk about what's the mission of Awakened Woman, if you will. That's easy. To inspire, empower, and encourage women to live their best life, to become their best selves. So when I started the platform, it was stories about me, um, stories about that I had just come across experience that I'd that I've had with just watching other women um but around I guess you know the beginning of the pandemic it's it's hard to write when you're not living life so those so those articles sort of became harder to write and I thought about how I always talk about um how as women we share many experiences so I just I started reaching out to celebrities because I think, you know, American society, I think we sort of put celebrities and people of affluent lifestyles. We sort of put them on a pedestal and they're human just like we are. So I wanted to start sort of interviewing some women that, you know, we've seen on TV, CEOs, authors that we think of as, wow, have the perfect life. And the special thing about each interview is that every woman has shared something personal about her journey. It has nothing to do, you know, with the the promotion of a, you know, of of their careers. It's about them as a woman. 
And I think that makes it very special because when you read the interviews, you feel like, wow, you know, that's that's something that I felt. Um, that's something that I've experienced. And you you sort of see the human side. And that's what I want. I want I think it's it's an awesome way to connect um, just people by showing that humanity, because, you know, we see them on TV and they may have millions in their bank accounts, but they're still human. They're just like you and I, except that, you know, we're not on TV or <laughs> we're not millionaires. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's really special. I spoke to one woman. She's an actress and I can't tell the name because I haven't released it yet. But we talked about feeling the feeling of not being enough. And it was a very personal conversation and she talked about, you know, how she gets these great roles, she gets this great life, but she still feels like she's not enough. And that's what I want the readers to see. I mean, that, that is so profound what you're saying, Yvette, that all humans, I think, really struggle with this sense of, am I enough? And I would imagine all women and some maybe mask it more than others, but even so-called successful people I mean, you know, their lives aren't always easy. You look at Hollywood, how many happy marriages are there in, are there in Hollywood? It almost feels like that's the exception. Maybe that just mirrors the, mess, the rest of American culture or the rest of world culture. I don't know. But sometimes it almost seems to be worse, you know, whether it's yeah. divorce, substance abuse. I mean, it's just like things happen like that. I mean, if you feel enough, I mean, it's not that you won't get divorced, maybe less some of the other things, but I guess the point is there's pain everywhere, even amongst the successful, and we don't we don't realize that. And then it makes these women seem human to other women. It's like, gosh, I guess their life isn't perfect. It seems so good, but it's like, oh, maybe, gosh, wow, that's yeah. painful. But I just, I, you know, so I just, you know, we talk about self-love. I just interviewed an actress. She's on a current show on ABC we talked about her self-love journey and how when she was younger, she had, you know, was in an abusive relationship and, you know, her divorce and the effect that divorce had on her life and on this journey of self-love. And you sort of feel like, wow, we are that different. And I, it's one of my favorite interviews. Wow. Let's put a pin in that idea of the journey to self-love because I have a question for you on that. But we've reached a part of the show where I normally say something like the captain's turned on the fasten seatbelt signs, we have to land the plane soon. But since we're all journalists here, we're all writers here, um, <laughs> I'm going to say that it's almost time. And I bet you may be too young to even know this, but there used to be in journalism, there may still be, I don't know, I've been out of it a while, but in my 20 years there, when you ended a story, you did dash 30 dash. That was how you ended the story. At the bottom of the story, dash 30 dash was the end. So we're getting to the point that we're going to have to put the dash 30 dash on this, but we're not there yet. I'd be remiss before I went and asked my last question of that, if I didn't give you the chance to tell listeners how they can find um, Awakened Woman online and learn more about you. How can they do that? Absolutely. They can visit awakened-woman.com. Well, that's very simple. Awakened-woman.com. One thing I want to say to you, Yvette, uh, as as we do begin to wrap before Warwick asks another question or two is... Um, I was in journalism, as I said, for 20 years, uh, 10 years of that as an editor. And one of the things I'm able to do 
I can just tell when someone's a good interviewer, a good journalist, and I can tell you are. And here's how I can tell that. It's even before you, you said every woman shared something personal, that tells me that you're good at getting that information out. People feel comfortable talking to you. But the other thing I can see is if listeners go back and listen to this again, listen to the pauses that a vet takes before she, she answers questions sometimes. One of the greatest tools in being a good interviewer is learning how to leverage silence. In other words, not being afraid of it. Don't feel you have to fill it up. And I can tell as you answer questions, you don't feel like you have to um, sort of froth at the mouth as you just keep filling the, the air with words. You think about them. As a, as a questioner, I can tell that about you. As an old editor, I can tell that that's the way that you ask questions and well, as well. And that makes you, I can tell, based on, the, on, on what you get people to say, a good journalist. So as someone who loves journalism, I applaud you for being a good one. Uh, I have hope for the future of the career I love because of people like you. you now, let me ask. You're going to make me cry. Okay. <laughs> um, well, Thank you. I didn't that mean to, means a lot. Well, you, you're welcome and you're very deserving. Here's the last question I want to ask you because we ask you on the, on the little form that we have. Um, if there was only one question we could ask, what would you want it to be? And you were talking before I started blathering here a little bit. Um, about the journey to self-love. And you wrote, if we can only ask you one question to ask you this one, what has been your biggest challenge on the journey to self-love? Understanding my worth. Mm. I'm going to cry again. Um, no, I and think. <laughs> yeah, no, please, please go. If you have more to say, please um, do. I think understanding your worth change can change your entire life knowing your worth uh, it just it affects every decision you make in life whether it's in your personal life your career the choices that you make are all affected by knowing that you're worth everything i mean that is so profoundly true i mean i believe i guess from my perspective um every human being is worthy of love. Every human being is worth something. Again, my faith perspective, and I think probably a lot of other religious perspectives, uh, teach that God loves us not because of what we do, just because of who we are. There's nothing we can do or need to do to earn God's love, at least from my philosophical and spiritual paradigm. So, but have you got there? Just that sense that every human being, every woman, obviously that's your focus, every human, every woman, has inherent worth. You know, she starts out beautiful and will always be beautiful in her soul and spirit, whether she's two or 92. It does not matter. Every human, every woman has worth. You know, as we kind of sum up here, there's a comment somebody said about you that, again, we're only just getting to know each other, but I think is obviously true. It says that she, referring to you, writes with endless empathy. I don't know. If I was writing it, I'd probably say unending empathy. I'd probably phrase it that way. But, you know, same thing. But um, that's a real gift because it makes people feel comfortable sharing. And by sharing, you can help so many people. So as we kind of wrap up, there may be some women who are listening to this podcast and heaven forbid, maybe today is their worst day. Maybe they're in the midst of a very ugly divorce, lost a job, maybe the abused. I mean, there's all sorts of tragedies that can happen to people and to women. 
what would be a message of hope that you would give maybe that woman that's listening to you today? And today may be her worst day. I'd say, hold on. Tomorrow is a new day. And everything can change. But it's going to take you to change whatever it is that's bringing that pain. If you have, if I think, if you every day you wake up, you get a chance to start over. I guess that's the best way to put it. Well, I've been in the communications business long enough, listener, to know when the last word on a subject's been spoken, and 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 Yvette has spoken the last word on this subject. And what she just laid out, and what she just said, is a recipe, is a blueprint, is a is a guideline for how you start a second act. And what she's talked about in the previous 45, 50 minutes of the show is how you develop significance in that second act. She has done that very thing. And until the next time we're together, listener, do remember what we've just talked about here, that your crucible experiences we know are painful. We know that they can knock the wind out of your sails and change the trajectory of your life. Go back, listen to Yvette tell her story. It changed the trajectory of her life. But she didn't stay knocked off balance. She found her balance. She found her worth. She pressed into how how she could live her life of significance by helping others. And that has led her to a place right now where she is making, she is living life on purpose in service to others. And that is what we call a crucible leadership and beyond the crucible, a life of significance.